You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Children, amen, this morning to our Sunday school classes, and then we're going to get into the word of the Lord here today, and I'm going to take your attention to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1, 1 Peter chapter number 1. Thank you for all of our uh, educators, uh, teachers, for our children, and all of their volunteer, everybody's labor around the church and serving, and uh, I, I can't call names because there's so many people that are here on a, on a daily, weekly basis that do so much for the church. And I uh, just want to encourage you, keep on serving the Lord. You can't outgive God. Amen and everything. I, I want to be an encourager today. And this is just something I'm, I'm sort of preaching to myself this morning. I try not to always preach to myself. I do try to find the mind of God and uh, say, Lord, okay, I know what you're telling me, but what do you want to say to the church? And sometimes those things are separate. But today I want to encourage somebody. And I'm going to take you to 1 Peter. If you'd stand together with me for the reading of the word, we'll read just four verses of Scripture, verses 6 through 9, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll go from verse 6 down to verse 9. The apostle is writing here about the keeping power of the Lord. How many are thankful that God keeps us? Amen. And in this he writes and he says in verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice... Though now for a season, everybody say a season. A season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So, so Peter talks about a season, and then he talks about the end of your faith. You may be in a season now, but he says, but we're living, we're working for the end of faith, the salvation of our souls. And so I want to preach to you if I can this morning from this thought, keep watching. Keep watching. Amen. Lay your Bibles down and let's ask the Lord one more time to have his way today. God, I thank you for your spirit and every promise, every blessing that we've already felt and encountered today. I ask in these next few moments, let the word of God, let the spirit of God have a liberty in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. You know every need that is here today, God. You know every circumstance that is present in this house. And I pray, God, that there'd be liberty for your spirit, liberty of your word, God, to minister. Lord, as you wish today, God, as you desire in our hearts, our hearts are open before you. In Jesus' name, we give you glory and honor and praise. Can we do that one more time? Lord, I bless your name today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen this morning. 
Peter says a season, and then he comes to the end of your faith. This week of my daily devotions, I was reading through the book of Nehemiah, coming through the closing out of the Old Testament, and studying all of the positioning there of their return from captivity out of Babylon back to Israel, and how when they got back there through men like Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, Ezra, and other of the prophets, they were reestablishing themselves, reaffirming the things of God. They were rebuilding not only the temple, but they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem that was torn down. And when they came back, it was not just the material things that they were reestablishing, but it was also the spiritual things, the functions, the, 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 the sacrifices before the Lord. Not only the sacrifices, but the worship. And so Nehemiah is going through and he's recording all of the reinstituting of things like the singers and the musicians and the worship and all of the things that would take place. As people returned back to Jerusalem, they did not return to the city only, but they returned to the broader parts of the promised land. But there were certain people that it was their lot or their duty to be at Jerusalem to maintain the house of the Lord and the things of God. And as Nehemiah is reading through, there was a phrase that jumped out at me. Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 24 is the verse. And here he's just going through the name. It's almost like you're going back to Chronicles as he's talking about all of the different people, reading off those Hebrew names, this person and that person and this person. They're going to sing. This person and that person and their sons and their family. They're going to be the musicians. And you're sort of reading through the Bible and there's this tendency of your mind just to drift. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And then all of a sudden in chapter 24, or chapter 12, verse 24, Nehemiah said, And the chief of the Levites, Hashabiah and Sherebiah and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brethren over against them to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, warred over against ward. And in this, he puts a little phrase there, according to the commandment of David. He's referencing what David institutes, what David established, what David left the people of God. David left a lot of things. He was a king, but he was also a type of a king and a priest. There was a lot of things that happened in his psalms that he writes, the messianic psalms. But one of the significant things that David establishes is when the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony comes back from the Philistines' camp, it comes back to Israel, David is the one who ultimately desires to bring it back to Jerusalem, to bring it back to a place where, or to bring it to Jerusalem rather, to establish it as the city of God. And he builds a tabernacle outside. And you've heard sometimes the tabernacle of David. When we reference the tabernacle of David, we're, we're referencing what David established. And what he established was the systematic, intentional Worship 
and praise of God. That we would not just come to the tabernacle and we would be offering uh, the sacrifices of blood and bulls of goats and, and, and the praises just like God had ordered us and, and, and required rather the Hebrews, not us, but the Hebrews to fulfill at the tabernacle. But David put with it that there would be worship and that there would be praise. That every day that there was a sacrifice that was given before the Lord, that there would also be people who were set aside to be singers and to praise God and to magnify Him with music and with singing and with dancing. And at any time, there was a voice of praise that was being lifted up. It was a significant uh, addition. It was one that would last, and we even carry that over into our tradition today in worship service. When we come together, we're coming uh, to sacrifice, but we're coming to worship. And we opened up today with singing and with praise. That was David's contribution. But Nehemiah, in this passage, hundreds of years after David, puts in there, according to the commandment, of David, and then he puts the phrase, the man of God. The man of God. This is the man who perhaps has done some of the greatest sins of all of Israel, and yet Nehemiah remembers him and recalls him as the man of God. You here today are the children of God. You are kings and priests. You are God's chosen. You are God's redeemed. You are a holy people. You are a called out people. You may not feel like it. You may have gone through some things this week and you may be sitting there saying, oh Lord, that's not me. That's not, that's not what I feel like today. But you are God's person. You are God's anointed. God has spoken to you. God has touched you. His spirit led you here. His spirit has brought you here. And you may be going through a season right now in life, but it's not the season that defines you. It's not the moment that determines who you are. It is something much bigger than that. Nehemiah testifies of this just in a passing phrase. David, the man of God. Let's talk about David. Yes, David was that young man who probably all other young men, amen, despised because he was a man that always seemed to be doing right. He was praising God as a child. He was writing songs as a little lad, as a boy. He was worshiping and praising God. He goes on. You know the story. He kills Goliath, but you know where I'm heading. He comes to places of massive failure in his life. David devised the word of God and he disobeys when he becomes king. He amasses to himself wealth and he amasses to himself, amen, wives. And Nathan will stand before David, Nathan the prophet, and say, there was a man that had many sheep and then there was a man that only had one sheep. And the man that had many left, and he went and he took 
from the man that only had one. It was the word of God and the man of God looking at David saying, you have allowed greed to overtake you. You have allowed selfishness to overtake you. You who are chosen of God. You who've been anointed and promoted of God have allowed yourself to fall into the same trap that Lucifer fell. You have, you have fallen into that trap of pride and selfishness and you have disregarded the things of God. You have caused a man's life to be taken. You have blood on your hands. You have become a murderer. You have become an adulterer in the eyes of all the people of God. It was a moment of massive failure. David failed in what in the New Testament Paul and the other apostles do not even permit a bishop to be guilty of. David was guilty of it, but yet he found mercy and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor at an altar of repentance after seven days of laying before God, but that was not the end of sin. There's another moment in David's life that is drastic. It is horrific. It is probably one of the greatest sins that takes place in all of Israel. And that is this. David is inspired or motivated by Satan, by Lucifer himself. And in a absolute defiance of spiritual authority. David denies what God has said and he goes against what God has said and the Bible says that he numbered the people of God. It was a direct defiance against the Lord. And when David committed this sin, the Bible said that there was a plague that came into the nation. There was a plague that swept in. Now this is significant because the law says that every person is going to be guilty of the own sins that they commit. That, that if a man commits a sin, his children aren't guilty, his, his, his family's not guilty, that he stands alone. But there are some sins that when they are committed, they open up a gateway to spiritual oppression and a affecting and this plague sweeps through all of Israel and the Bible says that 70,000 people lost their lives because of the sin of one man. It's amazing. We don't read about it. We don't think about it. We don't reference it often. But this was this was the state of David, this man that we're talking about. He sinned so great that not only he dealt the brunt of it. And not only did his family deal with the brunt of it, but 70,000 people lost their lives. 70,000 people. I don't know about you, but if I would have lost family because of David's sin, I, I probably wouldn't look at David very fondly. If I had suffered in my own family, in my own home, and my own life because of another man's sin, I, I, I probably would have been out to hold a little bit of a grudge. At least I'm not going to be talking good about him. But this was just a season in his life, and it was not a defining moment. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I did something and 70,000 people died, it'd probably be a defining moment. You get what I'm saying? We live in a day and age where we have technology uh, that the world has never known. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's actually absolutely incredible. But we also, with this technology, there's things that are changing. There's massive things that are changing. The way we interact. I, I was reading today, uh, this morning, about in Sweden, how many people are getting chips in their hands and, and, and how that's revolutionizing everything. And they were saying, really, it's just like getting the Apple Watch from outside your wrist to inside your wrist. And, and, and we're so close to so many things changing. And there's a lot of positive things. There's a lot of good things. But then there's also probably some negative effects also. But one of the things that we have in the last few decades, and it's been sped up more in the last few years, is the ability to capture moments of our life like never before. It, it, you used to, when you had a picture taken or a photograph taken, uh, you had to sit still for a long time while the lens got the exposure. Now, our photographs are live photographs, and the photographs are capturing many things together. It's amazing how much has changed in the last hundred years or so. And so now we are capturing moments of our life, and, and of course, you know, social media and YouTube and all these other things, and we, we take these moments and we put them out there wherever it goes in the internet space area somewhere right now it's flying through it's pretty crazy to think about it's wirelessly that we can send it and we don't know what kind of moments are flying through the air right now wirelessly as we capture these things but people will take a picture and they'll take a video and then they'll upload it and if you're running your own uh, social media account or your own account you're not going to show the bad moments in your life can I get an amen you're going to show the good moments in your life. You're only going to put the good things up there. But the problem is, is now we are capturing moments all the time. And, and you may not be capturing your own moments, but other people are capturing your moments. And sometimes your bad moments are the moments that accidentally get put out there. For instance, if you have a blooper while you're preaching... You can't get past it because somebody will take it, take that clip, and then share it around with all of their friends. And so we're defined by our moments. We are, in today's world, we are being defined more today by our moments than ever in times past. Think about it in, in the political world or, or, or in the business world or however, if you're giving a speech or a lecture and you make a mistake, it is captured. It's immediately uploaded and now you are defined by that. If you're a good singer but on a public stage, you don't hit the note you were supposed to hit. It's now uploaded and it's put out there and oh, you become the person that fell off stage, didn't hit the note, said this. That, that's the defining thing in your life. And if you go back just a few hundred years for the existence of humanity, that was not so. You, you were not defined by the moment, but you were defined by what kept happening, the consistencies in your life. You could live past a mistake a lot quicker because people didn't 
didn't have a recall all the time. The profile pics were not stuck. They were not there. You weren't defined by your profile picture or you weren't defined by what somebody else said. It was a constant thing. It was something new. It was where you're at. And so there's this new feature on, I think it's on uh, Instagram, but maybe on some other things too. But on Instagram now, it's not just the videos that you can post up there, but you can do a story for all of you that are, that are uh, um, a, a little bit, uh, you, you've, you've uh, achieved a, a longevity in life. You may not know all of the things that are going on, but a story means that you can video something and you post it up there and you can have a live story that people who have nothing to do with their life uh, and they need something to do, they can tap into your life and, and, and they can be bored right along with you and watch what else is going on in your life. And uh, the story keeps going. And when you're watching it on Instagram, you watch a story, and I think a story is limited to like 15-minute clips, and then it goes to another story and another story. But there's this new feature on here that says, keep watching. And that will mean, I don't know where it gets, somewhere along 30 seconds. I don't know. If you're watching somebody, it'll pop up, and it'll say, keep watching. And it'll let you know that if you want to keep watching this, you've got to hit keep watching. You go for the long moment. But if not, it's just going to, it's, you can swipe up to something else. And so today what I'm preaching is I am preaching this thought, keep watching. We have got to stop letting ourselves be defined by 15 seconds of our life. Or, or, or just a few moments in our life. That is not what defines us. We're not only not defined by our 15 seconds of failure, but we're also not defined by our 15 seconds of accomplishment. Just because you did something good for 15 seconds in your life, you do not get to post that and say, hey, this is what defined me. Because what matters in your life is not the season or the moment, but what matters is the longevity. What matters is the consistency. What matters is what continues in your life. And if we're not careful, technology can shape and and restructure the way that we think about ourselves. Psychologists are talking about this daily. You can read the articles galore everywhere. You can go and you can find the books, download the books, and they're talking about how technology is actually changing the way humanity thinks. I'm here to preach to somebody today that number one, we should not be worried about who in this world is watching us. We should be worried about what God is seeing when he looks down at us. And when God looks down on me, he is not watching a 15-second clip. God is not replaying my sins and my failures over and over and over, even if it's so low as murder and betrayal and adultery, even if it's so great as a sin that takes the lives of 70,000 other people. What God sees is not that moment but he sees the continuing he sees what goes on and I'm thankful that I'm not defined by a moment amen I'm not living just in this moment hallelujah 
It's with that that we have faith when we hear things like His mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. Great is His faithfulness. It's with that that I'm inspired that lets me know that His grace is sufficient in my weakness because I've had some moments of weakness. Come on, there's some things that we haven't posted for the rest of the world to see, but when you walk back into the house of God, hell brings up its little YouTube player. You go to worship and give your life to God, come on, and the enemy starts replaying those 15 seconds replaying that season but if David could die and hundreds of years later they say he was a man of God then sister brother hear me today you are a child of God you are a holy nation you are a royal priesthood you are a chosen people you are a redeemed people oh hallelujah somebody clap your hands unto the Lord Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I come to encourage somebody today. You may be walking through a valley. You may be going through a storm. You may be fighting some things and you've fallen and you made some mistakes. But hear what Job had to say. Job, who was a righteous man, a man that loved God, a man whose children did not serve the Lord, but every day he offered up a prayer and a praise to God. He was blessed beyond measure, but one One by one, you know the story. First, the enemy takes his livestock. He takes his business. He takes his material. He takes his houses, his unsaved family, his children. They pass away. And then his body is stricken with diseases galore. So much that his closest of friends look at him and say, Job, there's got to be sin in your life because we've never seen anybody handle it this bad. Job says no to his own defense and his wife shows up and says, oh, give it up, Job. Why don't you just give up on God? Why don't you just die? But Job says in chapter 23 and verse 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job was saying I'm not defined by the disease I'm not defined by my losses. I'm not defined by what other people said. I am defined by the God that I serve. I am defined by the Lord that I put my trust in. And he's going to bring me out. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, yes. Tell somebody, keep watching. Keep watching. Don't stop. Come on, don't let this story of my life only play 15 seconds. And then you define me. No, I'm still here. I'm still worshiping. I'm still believing. I'm still holding on to what God has for me. David, a man of God. David, a man of God. Of God, something had to happen and it did. We know the end of the story because it's one, not only a man of awesome, awesome power, but it's one of faithfulness. It's one of forgiveness because Nehemiah, Nehemiah, no doubt, 70,000 people 
died because of David's sin. If, 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 if you want to talk about a bad tweet to make people not like you, that's one. If you want to talk about something that's going to get people on your bad side as a king and a ruler, that's one. David made people mad, but something happened that redeemed in the place. that, that I'm sure if Nehemiah went back, Nehemiah had family that were a part of that 70,000. I'm sure if the other Israelites that were in captivity in Judah, if they went back and they knew their lineage, they lost some family of the plagues that, 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 that came through. It was theirs. They, they had every reason not to like David. But Nehemiah doesn't call David the murderer. He doesn't call him the adulterer. He doesn't call David the one, the plague bringer. No, he says David, the man of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's not the season that you go through in life, but it's the end of your faith that matters. It's not how you start. It's not always where you walk. Amen. It's how you finish. It's what happens over the long term. It's what your life looks like at the end. It's what it does. Abraham becomes the father of our faith. We, we think of that and we champion all the good things that Abraham did. But we forget about the lies and the deceptions Abraham made. We forget about the duplicities and we forget about a man. Not only was he a, 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 a man, he took on another wife at his wife's uh, 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 encouragement. And then he takes and he abandons, he abandons Ishmael and he abandons uh, 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 his Ishmael's mother and he, he leaves them out on their own. This is the worst picture of fatherhood, but yet he's remembered as the father of the faithful. He's remembered because he wasn't defined by those 15 seconds in his life. Jacob is a deceiver. He's a liar. He, he connives. He, he deceives his brother out of a birthright. He does everything. Jacob is the worst brother in the world, but he's not measured by that moment. He's not measured by that season. He goes on and he finds a place of forgiveness. He finds a place of restitution and reconciliation with Esau, his brother. After, what does he do? He wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And in that place he gets a hold of God. And he says, God, I won't let you go until you bless me, until you change me from what I am. I'm tired. I can imagine Jacob in his mind saying, I'm tired of being defined as the deceiver. I'm tired of being redefined every time I try to do something good. This plays out in front of me. God, you've got to do something. And his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And we speak that name still to this day. All of Abraham's seed is called Israel after Jacob's faith. It's the end of his faith. We could go on. Samson, he's a man who who is given to pleasure. He's a man who, who is so weak, the Samson syndrome. Wow, how horrible it was, but he was not defined by those 15 seconds. He was for a season in his life. Samson was defined by those 15 seconds. Here's the danger, and hear me this morning. When you define yourself by the 15 seconds, it's going to get you in trouble every time. Samson goes out, hear me, and he goes out, and there, there's that moment. He comes out, and what does he do? He takes the jawbone. 
of a donkey. And with that, he slays a thousand men. And he said, look at what I've done. And in his mind, they didn't have YouTube back then, but if Samson had social media, that's what was on there. You click on Samson's profile, and that's it. And Samson say, here I am, here I am, here's what I do. No, Samson, what you did in that 15 seconds is not what defines who you are. It's what you do every day. And he fell prey to thinking, because I did that, I'm good enough. Can I tell you, we got to be careful. Just because you come to church, just because you sing in the choir, just because you're used something and you feel the spirit of the Lord. Don't walk out of here saying that defines me. It's how you live every day. It's how you walk every day. It's not what you did last year. It's not what you did last week, last month. Come on, it's what you're doing right now. And Samson goes and said, look, I'm good. He goes and he lays in the lap of Delilah. But because he can go out and in 15 seconds he can whoop up, whoop up on all the Philistines, he says, look, I'm still okay while he's regarding sin and holding on to sin in his own heart. Hear me today. Don't be deceived just because God graces you with this presence that you think you can hold on to sin in your heart because sooner or later it's going to come out. And when it came out, he went out there and he had no strength. He had traded his anointing for a moment of pleasure. When 15 seconds is what defines you, you'll trade eternity for 15 seconds. Hear me, young people. Hear me to our youth. Don't fall prey to this culture that says you're defined by 15 seconds. Don't sell out your soul for 15 seconds. Don't let go of the promise that you have in eternity for 15 seconds. It's not worth it. Hallelujah. And if we played Samson, we'd see his highs and we'd see his lows. But you know what we don't see? Amen. It's mentioned in a phrase. But somewhere along the line, Samson got past 15 seconds when he was left after his eyes had been gouged out. And he's left to grind at that mill, chained to that place. The Bible says the hair began to grow. Hair doesn't grow in 15 seconds. It doesn't grow overnight. It doesn't grow in a day, but it's day after day after day after day. At some point, Samson, it was just him and God. Lord, I love you. Oh, Lord, I need you. God, I'm sorry, but you're still my God. And as that hair began to grow, he got past the 15 seconds. He got past a season, and the Bible said that he did more in the end of his life than he had done in the entirety of his life. Don't let yourself be measured by a moment. Keep watching. Keep watching. God, I know I didn't do everything right last week, but God, I'm hoping you keep watching because God, I'm still here and I'm coming back. And it's the apostle Peter, as I come to a close, it's the apostle Peter that writes and says, He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. The Apostle Peter was a fisherman. 
he was, he was impulsive. He did not think through things through very often. When you play through the narrative and you read through the Gospels, there is failure after failure after failure. If you've ever had to put your foot in your mouth, so to speak, Peter was that individual. He'd step out. The Lord would be teaching and he'd interrupt them to say where he was going and Jesus would say, no, Peter, that, that's exactly the opposite of what I'm teaching. How many times, man, did Peter just think, man, I missed it, I missed it, I missed it. He had one moment that defined him, one moment. That was the confession of faith found in Matthew chapter 16. But it wasn't just a 15-second moment. It wasn't the impulse of Peter. It was a response. The Lord started the conversation. He asked the question. Peter was not jumping to the gun, but Peter was responding to what the Lord was saying. Who do you say that I am? He was preaching past the 15 seconds and he was getting into the heart and the mind of his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And in that moment it came out. Peter said, thou art the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the one. Peter had this revelation. And Jesus said, your name is no longer called Simon, but your name is Peter or Cephas, which means a rock. There's a stability there. Prior to this, Peter had been like a reed blowing in the wind, as unstable. But now God says your life is going to be firm. It's going to be established. It's going to be a foundation. Jesus was speaking those things. The Bible says he calls those things which are not as though they are. You say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm not a holy. I'm not, I'm not a priest and king in God's kingdom. I'm not. Can I tell you, the Lord calls those things which are not as though they are. He speaks life. He spoke life into Peter's, into his life. And, and he changes his name. And, and now Peter is there. He's been given the keys to the kingdom. And so now he's, he's the established one. But at the betrayal of Christ in the garden, his impulse takes over again. Peter draws out the sword. Now the Lord's going to rebuke him. The Lord's going to tell him, put your sword up. But all this time, the Lord's letting him carry around his sword. Pulls out his sword and there with that, that little dagger he takes. And the Bible says he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And there that ear falls to the ground. Jesus in his grace and mercy, I think not just for the servant, but more out of mercy for Peter, reaches down, grabs the ear and puts it back on the high priest's servant. The Bible says he heals him. What does Jesus do in that moment? He destroys the evidence that Peter would put Peter in prison. Had Jesus not healed that servant, Peter was going to prison. You don't cut off the high priest's servant and it not cost you something. But God wasn't going to let his ministry be defined by 15 seconds. And God says, okay, I know you made this mistake, Peter. I know, I know you shouldn't have. And so he, he puts it back and he heals the man in the moment. Peter goes on, Peter's standing there, wow, can you imagine the rush of emotion when the rooster finally crowed and the words of Christ echo in his ears three times, you'll deny me, you'll deny me, you'll deny me. Peter denies him, but he comes through the cross, he comes through the day of Pentecost inspired, standing up with the eleven, he preaches the wonderful message of Acts chapter 2. 
And then, somewhere near the ending of his life, Peter sits down to write this passage. And he says, though now for a season, if anybody could talk about seasons, it's the Apostle Peter. If anybody could talk about failure, public blunder, it's the Apostle Peter. His, his failures weren't private. They've been recorded for us to go back and pick apart today. Peter says, you're in a season. He said, I, I know you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. But what I'm writing to you is keep watching. Keep going. Don't let it define you. Pick yourself back up. Come on, don't let your, I know you hung out with the wrong crowd. I know you've seen some things, y'all. Now, I know you said some things you shouldn't have, but get back up because it's the trying of your faith. And it's not the day or the moment that defines you. It, it's the end of your faith. It's not how you begin, but it's the end. Stand together with me. Keep watching. Keep watching. We sang that song, evermore I will love you, evermore I will trust you, evermore I will glorify the name. There's something in that refrain that is renewing and encouraging when you come out of a week of work and a week of labor and you come back to the Lord and you begin to say, God, I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm, I'm going to love you. I'm going I'm to stay faithful, God. Here I am. I'm not going to be defined by those 15 seconds. Even the apostle John Mark was sent to go with Paul and Barnabas. And Paul says, Mark, you're no good. You're a mama's boy. What I need is I need a missionary. I need an evangelist. I need a man that's going to help us. You ought to just go back home and you ought to just stay there with your mama and you ought to just work in the church there. Now, folks, if you've got the Apostle Paul telling you your ministry isn't good enough, that's pretty bad. But later on, if you'll read through the, the epistles, you find that later on something happened in Mark's life. Something happened that changed in his heart. He wasn't defined for that. And Paul went from sending him back home to requesting him. When Paul's selecting his dream team, when Paul's, I need a prayer warrior. I need a person of faith. I need somebody that can endure imprisonment. I need somebody that can weather the storm. He went and he found Mark and he said, send Mark because Mark is profitable for the kingdom's sake. Can I tell you, you don't have to be defined by 15 seconds. You don't have to be defined by your yesterdays. You don't have to be defined by your failures. Keep watching. Keep watching. Can I tell you, the Lord's still watching you today. I'm preaching to somebody today. I'm going to give an altar call. Somebody needs to step out in faith and say, God, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to be defined by this, Lord, but I'm going to keep on keeping on. Would you come? Would you join me at an altar this morning, God?